Welcome to Alert and Oriented, conversations about God between friends. Join Gary Barkalow and Sam Williamson as we talk about real life with the real God, really. About a year ago, I heard a quote by Lenin, of all people, you know, my hero, St. Lenin. And in it, he said, there are decades when nothing happens. And there are weeks where decades happen. Hmm. And when I think of our culture in the last, I don't know, 10 years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, it feels like this is one of those situations where decades are happening in just a matter of weeks or, or you know, in this case, a matter of years, because I just see society falling down in all different kinds of ways. And that's what Gary and I want to talk about today. And Gary, if, if I were just to say, what are different things you see in society, in our culture that's just breaking down? What are kinds of things that you say? I mean, almost every Christian, I think, could say, could you know, list several things. But what, what do you see? Yeah. And, you know, that's a profound quote I had not seen or heard from before, but that, wow, there's so much truth to that. You know, let me, there let me are give weeks you one, where decades happen. Right. <laughs> let, me, let me give you one other quote as I go to answer that question. And this came from a breakpoint email with John Stone Street. And one of the things he said is says, if it seems as if the world is falling apart, that's because in some very real ways it is. The problem is the breakdown of moral values in American life, and our culture simply can't respond. And, and that's really what it feels like to me. It's like our culture can't respond anymore. It, it doesn't know what to do because we've thrown out everything that we believed about God and the truth of Scripture. But yeah, I mean, obviously, for us in this moment, now it depends on when people are listening to this, but we have seen in very close proximity time-wise, mass shootings. And we've seen those now over the months and over the years. And this is just astounding. But we hear of spikes in you know, addictions, um, violent crime, like we talked about, other than even other than just mass shootings, you know, suicide, overdoses. The, the amount seems unprecedented at least in our culture right now. And, and then, you know, when I hear people talk about, um, you know, what they think the problem is and what we should do, I would categorize most of it as just foolishness. You know, it, it really does feel like a culture who, that doesn't know how to respond to this really. So, um, so you're saying not only do we have this huge breakdown, which in itself is just shocking, then the solutions that come along that people propose are just ludicrous. And you're saying, are you smoking dope? I mean, what? how could you think that that would be a good solution? Is that what you're right. saying? Yes, exactly. I mean, I'll hear something and I'll think, my friend, that was just the symptom. You've got to go 10 layers <laughs> down to us even start to approach what is the real, what's really going on here? And I, yeah, go it, ahead. Obviously a big one is the whole sexual sexual revolution that sort of took place in the sixties. But then when we look at the sixties, they seem tame. I mean, they really seem tame. There was still some kind of reticence of something, some kind of reserve that we had. I mean, um, I was asked by a church in Ann Arbor a few years ago, six or eight years ago, if I would just help them with their marriage counseling, their 
marriage counseling because they were just so many young people getting married. And the pastor of the church said, Sam, now you have to understand. He says, I'm not approving this. I'm really not approving this, but you have to understand. You need to assume that the couples are living together, not just sleeping together, but you have to assume that they're all living together. Every couple that Carla and I counseled were, were living together. They all had different kind of rationale. And, you know, in the, in the 70s, when I went to college, I knew a lot of believers were kind of sometimes sleeping with people they shouldn't, but, but they wouldn't have done it publicly. You know, they, they were ashamed of it, but there's just no shame whatsoever in doing anything sexually right now. Yeah, what is that scripture? I've heard you quote it before about, you know, now we don't even blush over our sin. Yeah. Um, I'll find it, but yeah, it it is amazing. You know, it's that it's that line we've heard before that that which was once unthinkable is now unquestionable. And we really are there. I mean, there's certain things we'd want to call out, and it's like, how dare you question me on that choice, on on that activity or behavior of my life. So yes, thank you. You know, this whole sexual confusion is new to our culture. Now, not deviant sexual behavior, but sexual confusion. We've never seen so many of these things before, and let alone the intensity and frequency of it now, the prevailing prevalence of this in our culture. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, I, I try to monitor my own heart. We talk about self-evaluating all the time, right? Being self-aware, not self-centered, but self-aware. And then, you know, you and I study other people. We watch, we listen carefully, we wonder. <laughs> and I just see it appears there is so much fear and pulling back. And I think a sense of there are no solutions, at least that I have on this. I think that we're just going to have to ride this all the way down, you know, kind of thing. You know, I've, I've just wondered as you and I talked earlier, is it kind of, are we kind of at a point as the body of Christ or many of us at this point where we're kind of about, you know, insulate, isolate, and ensure, insulate ourselves, isolate from others and ensure that we have enough food, you know, and money and space to survive. Or, which I do believe we should be in a place just to kind of play out the, the, the words, you know, are we in a place of engage, encourage, and endeavor to, to make a change? You know, I feel a pull for the first one, you know, just because of the talk that's going around, it's going to get worse and we need to, you know, isolate, insulate, and ensure. Um, and that worries me. Well, yes, I, I want to go back to something you had said earlier, which was that quote, and I want, I'm not going to get it right, but you said something along the lines of what used to be unthinkable is now just unquestionable. Mm -hmm. In other words, there was a gray period where, where people did it, but, but you know, they were a little ashamed of it. So they, you know, they didn't say it, but now it's the new norm. You know, I remember in the late nineties, I read this article and I, and I have the quote, but I don't have the article that it's from. I wish I did, but they were saying during the world war II era, shortly after the world war II, CEOs of companies typically made three or four times what the lower employees made. So if the lower employee made, 
you know, 30,000, they might make 120,000 or they might, the biggest ones maybe of GM or something might make 10 10 times. But now CEOs, this is in the 90s, it's even worse now. CEOs make 300%. So it went from maybe three to 10%. Now it's 300%. You know, I, I saw this I was reading this magazine from a, mag, from a company that put out and they were just talking about all the, you know, it was an investment. So I'm looking at investments and they were talking about how in 2019 or 2020, they had given their, they had given away two or $3 million to, you know, breast care awareness, uh, breast cancer awareness. And, you know, it was sort of a little self-bragging in the same issue. They talked about giving their CEO a $10 million bonus. You know, and, and, and I'm just thinking, and, and this is not shocking to us. I mean, look at our celebrities, look at our athletes. These people are just making unfathomable amounts of money and we're not ashamed of it. What kept, so the article said, why weren't executives paid as lavishly 30 years ago? This is written in the nineties, 30 years ago, as they are today, because the generation after world war II had a fear of outrage. And it kept the executive salaries in check. Well, that outrage is gone. Hmm. It's something like the sexual revolution of the 60s. A new permissiveness, maybe an excessive permissiveness, has moved out of the sexual realm into the financial. You know, and so it's sort of like we just let go of all holds. We let go of all restraints. And we said, whatever, whatever, you know, if it feels good, do it. That's again, that's an amazing article that you're quoting from, you know. And you know that it's worse 20 years later. Right, right. Well, and you know what? I mean, it wasn't messenger, or you, you didn't mention at the point. Yes, there are all sorts of celebrities as well as CEOs and others, but this is true in the in the in the world of the church as well, right? We hear about pastors who are making enormous amounts of money and are having two or three homes. And a private and jets, yeah. yes, and all of these things, and you're thinking, okay, why does that feel okay to you, and why does your congregation think that's okay after hearing you preach whatever they do preach? Now maybe they're preaching that message, but at least the congregation should be saying, okay, I hear you preaching that this is what should happen as, as we walk with God, but it's not for me. So why is it for you? I mean, it should, it's astounding. So this is the passage that you were asking about. So I looked it up while you were talking, paying very close attention to everything you said. Um, It's Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14 and 15. And Jeremiah is talking about the full-time ministers of the time. It was the priests who are supposed to be serving God's people. And it said, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed those abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. They do not even know how to blush. And I thought, isn't that sort of where we are right now? There, there, there is a shame for the oppression that we, you know, if, if, if some people are making hundred millions of dollars, there's other people who are, who, are, who, are, who are not being treated well. They really aren't. We, we see this. And the whole sexual stuff, it's not just people breaking sexual taboos, but it's like we get our whole identity from, from sexuality, or we get our identity from wealth, or we get our identity from power. And, you know, 
I'm not going to let you stand in the way of my identity. And if I need power, I'm going to take it. I'm going to grab it or money or sex. You know, it's, it's, it's like all our restraints are gone. And so you, this is where I come back to what you were just saying. What do we do? You know, you had said there's one, there's one inclination in a certain sense, I think, to become like a modern day Amish. Let's just back out of the world altogether. You know, I don't know what that would look like, but isn't that sort of a temptation? You see it all. It just seems so monstrous. I want to say, what can we even do? I don't know where to begin. You know, as you were saying, there's some foolish solutions and the foolish solutions come from people who I disagree with completely theologically, but they also come from people I sort of agree with theologically, but I just think that solution isn't going to work. So what do we do? Yeah. And I wonder, Sam, you know, so here's just thinking out loud with you, you know, what God has said in scripture about himself, about mankind about the world and about the battle that we're in with the kingdom of darkness has not changed. It, it just, it is all the same. And so I wonder if partly what's because of what our culture is experiencing now, it's forcing us to go back and truly believe what we read, what we've read versus thinking, you know, we're, we're actually doing pretty well here, God. So maybe you should focus your attention on other parts of the world, you know, because we have some really good systems in place now. Now, has it ever been a euphoria here? No, it's not, you know, but it, it does kind of force us to say, so what have we believed about the nature of mankind? And, you know, when Paul says, hey, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeals or trials, <laughs> you know, I still am as if they are exceptions, I, I just, it, it just makes me wonder about all of this. Has so much of this been, you know, behind the curtain for me, I've not seen, and now it's, now the curtain's ripped down and everything is visible. It, it's, it's causing me to re-examine my life as a believer, as a follower of Christ in really a good way. You know, um, yeah, that's kind of the effect it's having on me. Well, I think that, I think one of the things we do not want to do is just accept it, you know, because if we accept it, it's going to creep into our hearts, you know, and the phrase, the, the next phrase, you know, I, I got rid of that quote from Jeremiah six, but the very next sentence said, destruction is going to come upon those leaders. You know, there might be a time where God holds back his hand. Cause he, you know, he always is holding back his hand to give us a chance to repent. But at a certain point, God has to say wrong is wrong, you know, but I think one of the things that's worth remembering is we, there's a certain, this is the worst it's been in my lifetime, but you know, things have always gotten bad. I mean, if you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus, their Messiah has just died. I mean, the one they were following and, and Jesus comes along and and Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And, you know, I think that God does keep predicting that bad things are going to happen. But what's the worst time? I mean, you know, there was a time in the 1100s in the church when the whole church hierarchy was just so corrupt, you know, and we were going off on these pilgrimage, not pilgrimages. What do we call those things where we're attacking Jerusalem? The uh, oh, Crusades. The Crusades, you know. 
like we're sort of like we're taking up the sword when Jesus on the night he's betrayed says, don't take up the sword or you'll die by the sword. And, you know, nobody knew what to do. God brings along St. Francis and Francis really changed the heart of people. He brought about a spiritual revival without ever trying to take over the hierarchy of the church and said, he just brought people to the Lord. And it was like, God did something that we couldn't imagined. You know, and it's it's just true throughout the ages where there's been martyrs. And, you know, somebody said, I can't remember who it was, said the blood of martyrs is seed. You know, it's sort of like it's feeding the church. And I think that when we see, you know, the early church was facing martyrs all the time. I mean, I got to say, I don't like the society I'm living in, but I can go to church publicly and I don't have to worry about it. There is a way that God, I, I don't want to go off and be the Amish. I also don't want to be one of those people with the, you know, the big signposts, the world is going to come to an end, you know, one of those prophets. I do think that we can have a hope that God will bring something out of this good. And, and, and part of that is us standing strong and just saying, God is faithful. I want to be faithful to the Lord, but the Lord will be faithful to us and he will bring good out of this suffering. Yeah, I just don't know what it is. Yeah. He'll bring a St. Francis kind of thing out of us that we just will never imagine. God always does it. He never fails us. Yeah, that's really good. And, and when, yeah, when we as a culture at a place where we really have no answers, it, it's really the time that believers, the church has a voice that it uses, you know, because they're looking for answers. And, and, and yes, what's hard about that is, right, we live in a very um, uh, oppressive time as well with the cancel culture, you know, and anytime yeah. you speak about something that the culture doesn't agree with, then it's called hateful talk. So, yeah, it's more difficult. There, there's more at risk. But I just, the temptation is to be silent and smile and be pleasant. But I think when the world is asking for answers, and it is. It is, a, you know, we're just taken by surprise with each one of these things that we see and these trends. We have to have a voice, which means, as you were saying, we have to go back and understand. So what has God revealed about us, mankind, the world, himself, what he's up to? You know, I remember reading uh, um, in uh, <laughs> the book about prayer. Oh, uh, a praying life, a praying life with Paul Miller. You know, I think one of the things he said in that book was, you know, evil feels so predominant and, you know, dominating simply because it's the loudest voice, but it is, it is not the truest voice, obviously. And it is not the it is not the dominant voice. God is up to something here, but it is easy to feel like evil is winning the day because it is so loud, you know. Um, and you're also right. It's not just that evil is just everywhere. You know, what used to be unthinkable is now unquestionable. That's just a great quote, Gary. I love it. I love it. Um, it's, it's that Christians really are being attacked finally for taking a stand. You know, we really weren't, we might've been shamed a little bit. Like it wasn't cool to be a Christian in high school or college, but you weren't kicked out of anything. You know, if you spoke your mind, you weren't alienated. And now if you speak your mind, you can be sued. 
you know, by saying you're doing hate crimes or something. I don't know that it's happening that much, but we can certainly see it on the horizon. And, and yet I think God keep, but, but remember the early church, they were killed. No question about it. They were murdered. And yet the blood of the martyrs was seed for the church and the church grew out of it because people saw how they handled it with dignity and grace. And people said, I don't want to die the way Gary did, but I actually want what he has. You know, I mean, there was something, it, the, the Lord worked in ways to, to bring good out of this. Um, you know, First Peter 5.10. So I'm going to give one scripture quote. Maybe this is my second one. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I mean, what he's saying, you are going to suffer a little while, you know, but I think that I can handle the suffering when I know that the Lord himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. I, I feel like I can take this because, because he's taking it in us. He's giving us the strength to do it. I, I just find the promises of God continue to give me a kind of hope that what, that if I just look at the world, I just despair. I, you know, that's what happens when I look at the evil in the world. But I think God says, don't despair and don't run away. Yeah, that's really good. <clears throat> I heard one man say that, you know, we must be faithful to what God asks us to do, what God asks us to believe, and to how he instructs us to live. Hmm. It's just another way of saying what you just said, right? To do, to believe, and to live. I and I, and I think, you know, we joke about that. I always say everything comes back to calling again. <laughs> but I I do believe, but it does, you know, we, right? <laughs> calling and hearing God—that's the two things, right there. But we do have to, I think, all the more, you know, understand what is our God-given compelling. Mm-hmm. the the god-given effect of our life and don't become our own cancel culture right it's, i think it's really easy in fear to kind of cancel out our own calling like i I, ca- I can't speak on that i can't do that i can't step forward i can't be heard on this and we cancel ourselves versus uh, you know i will offer to others what god has given me that's if very they cancel profound. me so be it that's really profound i mean it's- we're already getting canceled by them, by, by the world. And you're saying, let's not do it to ourselves. Right. You know, it also, though, reminds me that we need to be careful how we cancel the world in a certain mm. sense. And we sort of leave it to God. Because, you know, Jesus has this tension that he offers us that we have always done poorly as believers. You know, it's, it's the tension of truth and love. You know, I'm not going to abandon truth, but I don't want to be a jerk about it. You know, so if I just cling to truth without love, nobody wants, nobody wants what I have to offer. Nobody has what, you know, now we're not going to abandon truth. So if we just cling to love, oh, everything is groovy, you know, then we're sort of Casper, the friendly ghost. You know, nobody wants what we have, you know, nobody wants Casper, the friendly ghost as their best friend. I mean, you know, there's sort of, there's something unique about Christianity that is a truth offered in a kind of love that is something we can offer. We're not going to, we're not going to do the reverse cancel culture against them. 
will speak the truth, but in a way that's gracious and loving. It's hard, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about kind of with the church believers, a reverse cancel culture that we have our own with others, with the world. Because you're right. I mean, we can't, if the world's asking for answers, and maybe that's more subconscious than conscious with the world because they have an opinion. Nonetheless, people see how things aren't working. And if we can't, if we aren't willing to engage their thinking on this, right? Out of just a confidence and a love, right? Well, let's talk about that. Why, why do you think that's true? Yeah. Why do you think it's still happening, even though we, whatever that is, you know, but I do think there, I, I've never thought about there's a reverse, you know, we've canceled the world. Like, we're not going to talk about this. We're canceling you out of everything as opposed to, no, let's talk about that, actually. You know, I remember when I was just on a trip speaking to a church staff, a different church, they said that they have a, one of the people going to the church as a missionary who's been overseas for, you know, like 20 years or so. And he's moved back now to study how do we reach the culture in the United States as another missions field. So he actually moved to San Francisco because he said, I'm going to go to the hardest culture I can find in, in the United States. And knowing that the culture in this country starts on the two coasts and moves inward. So he's been studying the culture there. And he said, you know, he said, what I'm seeing as a church is we are building extravagant straw huts when a tsunami, when a cultural tsunami is coming. And it was such a startling picture when I heard about that going, that's what this feels like. Like, this is not going to, this is not going to stand up when it hits even harder, you know? Um, so it goes back to what do we believe? How do we walk with God? How do we engage? Not entertain. We actually engage in love, you know, our culture. Yeah. You know, I think someday we should do a little podcast on suffering because in a certain sense, what we're experiencing is a kind of suffering. And and we Christians in the Western world just don't know how to handle suffering. I mean, you know, Historically, I think almost every culture before the 20th experienced all kinds of diseases. And, you know, half the children didn't survive to adulthood. And you had marauding bands that coming around and you were in danger. And there, there was a set of suffering that we, we almost think is our birthright not to have suffering. And so it's a shock to the church right now to have the suffering of being rejected, Um but I think God does have something for us to offer the world who doesn't know how to handle suffering anymore, to be able to offer a kind of hope. You know, I, uh, as, as we were, t- as, again, you always give me these ideas. And so I'm Googling my database while you're talking. I am listening. But <laughs> there's this poem that I just love. It's by a guy named William Cowper. And he wrote this in the 1700s. And he was a guy who was suffering a lot. He had a lot of suffering. And he wrote, this is his closing line. It's a, it's a hymn, although I've never heard it sung. So maybe it's a poem. He said, his purpose is ripe and fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. I, I just love the clouds you so much dread, which is where I'm at right now. I'm seeing these clouds and I'm dreading it. 
but but God has some way, some you know, spiritual alchemy. I don't know what it is, spiritual calculus, to turn them into being filled with mercy that that will break with blessings on on His children. That's really good, and that's probably a great way to conclude our this conversation because <laughs> I don't know how you top that, you know. And again, you know, just going back to my initial thought is, you know, that I don't want to, and I don't want my friends and those who I know are believers, you know, to be tempted into, you know, isolation, insulation, and ensuring that they're going to be okay, just stockpiling, you know, I I really hope I want to be and us to be, you know, those who engage, encourage, and endeavor, you know, to, to make a mark for Christ, to live for him in, in a way that it, it will, it will make a difference. So it's just good, Sam, that we, you know, are talking about what we see, observe, and, and how this feels to us. I, I like yours. Engage, encourage, and endeavor. We'll see everybody next week. That was fun, Gary. It was really yeah. fun to do it with you. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our websites, thenobleheart.com and beliefsoftheheart.com for more resources in living the eternal life with God today. You'll find articles, videos, and online classes. See you next week.